coming up next in the Ziegler show, how you perceive people and institutions of power and their so-called success influences you to the core. So this episode is, it's not a mere discussion on world views and power and morals, not a discussion of, but an audit of your perspective on them and just how it's influencing you specifically for better or worse. I was given recently a VIP ticket to go see Jordan B. Peterson. Uh, He's a significant person of influence as an author, speaker, podcaster, and YouTuber. And I went out of interest from a few angles, kind of see how he was doing things. And his talk was based on a premise of do not carelessly denigrate social institutions. It's actually the first chapter in his new book. And he discussed studies on power and bullying from rats to humans and cited the enforcement of absolute power seldom, if ever, creates success. In fact, it generally results in being ostracized. And he did a pretty great job of turning our paradigms around to at least consider it. The discussion brings into acute question how we define success as well and the influential spirit we carry forth regarding those that we view in power, people, institutions, and our spirit is my focal point in this episode. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this podcast, we take the core wisdom of self-help and personal development and break it down as to how it relates to our world today and to your world today. You can dig in more with each episode at kevinmiller.co. If you're new to Ziggler and are a coach or want to become one, let the Ziggler family empower you at Ziggler.com slash coach leadership program. So now Tom Ziggler and I, we're going to talk about this issue of how we perceive the assertion of power in our lives and how our perspective affects us. So yeah, Tom, I went and saw Jordan Peterson. Uh, You can't not know about him if you're in the personal development world. You just said you read his first book, right? Uh, 12 Rules for Life or something like that. Yeah. You read it and you liked it. Um, Yeah, I liked it. I I love his uh, research, analytical, validating, confirmation um, stuff around it. I know he's controversial. Uh, my favorite chapter in his book was about um, raising your kids. It it just really struck me very similar to what dad would talk about. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I like that. We well, obviously lines up a lot. So this, but this is not a pro that's, he is not the point, but it is a point uh, of something that he, well, his talk. So I was given a ticket. Um, actually I wasn't Randy was Dr. Randy James, our doctor. Uh, was given two tickets by a friend and he said, Hey, we're going on a date. So we went out and had some food and uh, went and saw it. And I was just curious as to in this day and age, it's, it's, to me, it seems a little odd to have somebody on stage giving a monologue. He's just going, I mean, he has a podcast, he has YouTube. I mean, you can listen to this from the comfort of your own home for free and people were paying 40 to 200 bucks or I think it was more than that even to go see him. And it was a packed house, 1500 people or so. And he just did a monologue, just talked, you know, and he's billed as the intellectual phenomenon. And he's, I can't do that. I don't have that kind of a mind to just sit up there and talk without notes, without anything. 
Uh, and he's just talking. He's not rehearsed really. It's just, it was, it was interesting. So yeah, you had, you read the first book. I, I have got it too. I got it on the bookshelf behind me. His new one is beyond order 12 more rules for life. His first chapter is, and this is what he was going to cover yesterday. Do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement. That was the second part. He never got to the second part. Never, literally never got to, they just ran out of time. We didn't, he didn't even touch creative achievement. So it's denigrate social institutions. And this morning, it wasn't this morning. It was a couple days ago. I saw you post. No, it wasn't you. It was, it was somebody, a friend of yours. I thought I wrote their name down, uh, but somebody posted on your Facebook page, a picture they took of you and your dad and Zig. And the caption, it's, I think it's a poster in your office or something says the way you see people is the way you treat them. And that was really the essence. Cause he's talking about, it was kind of like, be careful how you denigrate social institutions. And really it was those that you see in power. So how we're so quick, you know, where we are right now, Tom, in the culture to point and cry foul for this power, this oppressor. Uh, this institution and how they're wrong and evil and bully and bad and whatever. And he says, it doesn't really pan out. It doesn't really pan out if you're really that bad. And, and, and then he did, he did just what you talked about. He cited these studies of rats, of monkeys, I think, and then of people. And basically, and, and then I'll, I'll lob it at you basically saying, look, if you have somebody who's a total complete bully, a psychopath, whatever, Total, I mean, so hundred percent, just, just, just leading with power, oppression, whatever it doesn't work out for them socially, they get ostracized. So it's, it's, it's really, uh, you know, cutting off their nose to spite their face. It, it doesn't work out. There has to be, and then, then he, he did cite this really interesting scenario with, with rats, like a bigger rat and a smaller rat and the bigger rat, you know, uh, uses its power. But if it uses it too much, the, the smaller rat will never engage with it again. And it loses a companion, a friend. There's got to be, he said, in this scenario, in that scenario with rats, at least 30% reciprocity. And so he's t- talking about all this and say, look, if we look out there at these, all these things we're pointing at, whether it's a person of influence and power, an institution, and saying that they are just all evil. He says, it doesn't really, pan- the math doesn't work, that it's completely, that there's not some reciprocity, something that they're providing. And it was really just a caution towards our attitude. And so to bring that back to my concern was, how am I? How is my family? How is my culture? How are we, to some degree, claiming victimization? You know, to how, how, what's our attitude? And how is that affecting us? And that brings us back to the kind of the termites of your analogy. You know, how is that impacting us? So that's what, that's what Rain and I spent the evening afterwards talking about. Gosh, how is this, how is this, not just as a theory out there, but how does this impact me, Kevin? How does it impact Tom? How does it impact our audience? Yeah, so I'm kind of jealous. I would have liked to have been there. Um, I can say straight up, I think there's some paths he goes down that I'm, I'm, I'm unsure of. I'm not quite agreed as schooled yeah. and educated. Uh, and I think the reason he can do a monologue is probably because, uh, he's been attacked on every point he makes. Yeah. I mean, um, it's interesting to see and, you know, GK Chesterton, Mm -hmm. 
who a hundred years ago was probably the most intellectual giant of all in his realm. He has a quote that says, uh, don't take a fence post down until you know why it was there in the first place. Hmm. And our culture, and it's not a new thing. It's been going on for decades. This idea of we should remove all boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, constructs, boundaries, power, social order, all the things that that we've put in place uh, are are wrong or bad or should be defeated. And they're unjust is what I feel like I keep hearing. Yeah. To somebody, to somebody, which they are going to be by proxy. Somehow it can't be fair to everybody. And so I love the old, uh, not old necessarily, but the, 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 the like epic movies like Braveheart or Tolkien. And they can show you like the complete evilness and, and degradation of man. <laughs> Right. And they can um, show you what the heart is capable of in the worst sense. And, and so we're to me, we're seeing it lived out. We're seeing the ultimate bully on the biggest stage in the on the globe, you know, in the Ukraine with with Putin being a bully and showing us what a depraved uh, uh, worldview and mindset can do. I mean, how many millions of people have been injured and hurt directly because of those actions? Um, it's kind of incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. And, and so that creates a real cultural uh, challenge because if you follow liberal progressivism to its end, it's people are basically good and they will do things that are good for each other. And so removing of barriers and structure is a great thing because we're all going to end up doing good for each other. And so then we get to that foundational uh, reality. And that is, is that, you know, you've probably heard the term uh, sheep, sheep, dogs, and wolves. And so there's a certain percentage of the population that are wolves. They prey on other people. Right. And they got sharp teeth and they're vicious and they take what's theirs and they're the bully and and life is about serving them. And they have a relentless pursuit of power uh, and all that that means. And then they're sheep. And these are this is the majority. And this isn't positive or negative. It's just that, hey, you know what? Most people, they, they like their they love their family. They like their life. They want order. They want things to be in their place. And they don't want to live in fear. And but they've got to have sheepdogs to guard them against the wolves. Yeah. And the problem is, is when you look out and you see a sheepdog, they look like a wolf. Hmm. They've got sharp teeth and the ability f- to be a warrior and create incredible uh, physical damage when necessary to protect the sheep. Yeah. And the difference between a sheep and a sheep dog is the heart, the motive, the, the, the moral standard, the code, the, the higher standard they submit themselves to. Uh, but sheep don't really like wolves or sheep dogs because both of them scare them. <laughs> it's so, and, and so that's, 
what it's about and the end if if sheepdogs abuse their power um i agree with what 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 you were talking about if 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 there's not reciprocity eventually the sheep outnumber them and overturn them yeah and then they usually get um the the power vacuum usually gets um gets filled by a wolf that 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 sounds like a savior and then there's worse abuse. And then you've got to have a sheepdog come in who's willing to stand up to the wolf, but has a moral backbone and has, you know, mercy and grace and justice and all those things all mixed into that bag. So it's a, it's a hard thing um, to get our heads around. It is. And it's one of the things that he posited was, that stuck out to me too, because I mean, Tom, you've seen wolves, you have met wolves, you have, you might've even ended up in business deals with some of them. I mean, but you've seen them and you've seen that there's, there's hurt and damage and it doesn't take away from that. So it, it doesn't take away from that hurt and damage and the danger that can be there, but some, somehow are, and it's not even looking to have grace for them necessarily, but just kind of a, kind of, you know, the old uh, scripture uh, from Romans twelve nineteen. dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Okay. So that's from a faith-based standpoint, whether you are, you align with that or not, have you ever known a wolf like that? And things really worked out for them. They were really a success. It worked. They got away with it. That's what he talked about. Have you ever known somebody? And they really did. And at the end of the day, it worked out. They're successful. They're happy. They're fulfilled. They're at peace. I've just never experienced that. Not in the movies, not in real life. It didn't work for Hitler or Stalin. Uh, and you you talked about some of the movies. And there's some that I've seen even recently where there is the very tangible, very blatant good and bad people opposing each other. And the beauty of the story is as they get into it and really get into the lives and the relationships and the realities, you kind of get to a point of going, wait a minute, who is bad and who is good? Because at the heart, like what you said, and and Jordan did come back to this, pretty much everybody has good in them. They do. They have a good intent. There's very few people really out to use power to oppress other people, to steal and maim and rape and pillage and, and whatnot. He even talked about psychopaths. You know, that would be like an absolute, somebody who has no empathy. And he says, we, we, they don't grow. If, it, if that was the winning formula, we would see that grow. We would see more psychopaths. All of a sudden, man, that's the way to win. That's the way to get everything you want. We'd have 95% of the world gravitating towards that perspective, but we don't. Well, I like kind of what you said about the wolves. We keep them in check. You get too many psychopaths out there going nuts and, and they're going to get stomped down. He literally said that. So just what you said, Tom. Uh, it'll, it'll get stomped down and they waver at a very low percentage of the culture because we're not going to let, we're not going to stand for that. Um, and so do they really, and, and he, you know, and he did put that, it was kind of a funny moment in the talk. He said, but you know, has it, if you feel like, Oh my, you know, you're upset about this, somebody who's using power, they are enforcing themselves upon you. And you feel like you feel upset at their success. He said, I, I question your view of success. I really kind of stopped the crowd a little bit. What is your view? If that is success. Cause you know, go back to what I said, are, are they really, 
I mean, is that the success you and I want? Would you be happy? Would everybody out there be happy with whatever your view of success is to get it at the strong arm of power and oppression? I don't think anybody wants that. I don't even think the people, I don't think most of the wolves doing that want that. It may just be all that they know. It's the hand that they were dealt in some way, but it, you know, to bring this back again, tangibly as it's not just a theoretical conversation. I'm thinking about how, how does this, <clears throat> your perspective, how is the, the termite of how I feel about my own victimization, my own control? Am I, do I feel controlled by these powers? Do I feel like they're evil? Do I feel like corporate America or capitalism or the government or the other political party is by proxy because I feel like I'm right over here. They're wrong and they are out to harm me. And he just, that, that was again, go back to, this is the chapter one, uh, beginning of his book, uh, was, um, do not carelessly denigrate social institutions. Okay. But I'm going to give that, that was the umbrella, social institutions, power, basically the, the wielding of power, uh, that we rely on to some degrees. Do not carelessly denigrate them. And that's where he took us in and took us to these studies. If it's, if you really feel like it's just power and oppression, that just doesn't really line up again. The math doesn't really work if they were really that awful. And I don't think it was an effort to give them a free pass and to, to, you know, make the rights wrong. It was more so just about our spirit. He didn't even say it that blatantly, but if you, you know, Randy and I afterwards are trying to extrapolate, okay, what was his primary point? That was really it. It was just to watch your own attitude. And it reminded me of our, you know, Shanti Feldhahn and kindness, being kind to others helps us more than it helps them. We're the greatest beneficiaries. How are we perceiving? And you know, that time we've got a lot of people who we respect and revere um, and, you know, align with on faith and values who are struggling right now with their own spirit and attitudes about what's going on and having to keep those in check because man, it just takes you down a bad road and then you're minimized and compromised and that's not helping us. You are listening to the Ziegler show and Tom Ziegler and I discussing how we all view power. We'll be right back. There's a couple of issues that I reflect on regularly. Um, I'll set it up with this this Rabbi Daniel Lappin example. We need to he get said, him back on the show. We talk about him constantly. I know. He says there. You know, in general, there's two types of people in the world. There's there's cake people and and candle people. And cake people look at the world and they feel like they've been given a slice of cake. And that's their lot in life. And they look around and if somebody has a bigger piece than they do, then, then that person got some of their cake. Yeah. Um, it, it's a zero. You're talking in, in essence, a zero sum game as opposed to a win-win. Yeah, I literally just did a little research on that. I got how people think so often of that kind of a scarcity mentality. If I give something to you, I lost it. You got it. And that's it. Right. And so, and it's a deep rooted cultural thing. So agrarian societies where wealth equaled land. If you owned the land, you had wealth. And if you didn't own the land, you were poor. You had to work for the landowner. Peasants and lords, yeah. Yeah, and there were uh, things put in place to keep 
um, you know, you in your place so that you couldn't advance. Candle people are the ones who their, their candle is lit and they know how to solve a problem. And so what they do is they look at life as serving other people. So to me, solving people's problems and serving other people, those are really the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is they go find somebody who's got a problem and they say, can I help you with your problem? And they say, yes. And so they take their lit candle and they, they reach over and then they light that person's corresponding candle around that problem and they fix it. Well, now there's more light in the world. So if you sell software and a business is struggling to keep track of, you know, their inventory and, and all the things they do and you solve that problem, then you've lit their candle. So now they have light in that area where the problem was. And in return, you've gotten compensation for it. And so some people just look at, and this is the way my dad was. It's like, wow, I need to take my candle and light as many other candles as I can. Cause then we got more light for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that's, that's kind of a, uh, a worldview approach. And so in the culture wars or whatever you want to call it, when you talk about a victim mentality, so there's kind of two predominant thought lines. The victim thought line is, you know what? You've been screwed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not your fault. Of course you are where you are. And it's never going to change until we change the system. World's out to get me. You're owed. Yeah. Right. And you should have a chip on your shoulder. And, and then there's the, then there's the other school of thought of, Hey, you're, you may not be responsible or at fault for what happened to you because life is unfair. I mean, you know, dad was born during, you know, with the great depression, his dad died when he was five. He had to go to work when he was six, didn't do well in school. And that's, those are some, he was, his family was the second poorest family in Yazoo city, Mississippi. <laughs> those are some pretty serious check marks against you. But one day somebody poured into him and said, you know what? If you believe in yourself and go to work on a regular schedule, you can be a champion. And they didn't say, um, you know, give up. It's not your fault. It's insurmountable. They said, yeah, life is unfair, but you can change who you are and where you are and what you accomplish by changing what goes into your mind. Mm -hmm. And so I reflect on that because that's a, I mean, I've been asked a question in different ways on stage where somebody says, yeah, but what about me? Look at my circumstance. And so how do you give um, direction to somebody who's been dealt a terrible hand, but at the same time, you want the best for them. And so the best for them is, is you can't downplay, Oh, just get over it. You could, you know, people do it all the time. Just suck it up. That's not the right answer. (laughs) Just like, yeah, it's terrible. Just be resigned to it. It's not fair. Somebody's going to have to save you. Guess what? That's not the right answer. And so I play in that kind of that perfect middle ground, which says, 
hey, you don't have control of what happened to you, but but you do have control of everything you decide right now. Mm-hmm. You can do something right now that will take you closer to your why, your purpose, your goals, your dreams, your aspirations. And it starts with making that choice and determining what you've got to develop in yourself to get there. Yeah. And what you'll find is many of the greatest successes in life, they didn't start off with everything in their favor. They had to make that choice. And then that created gratitude and motivation to keep going because they knew what it was like on the other side. They didn't like it. Yeah. Right. So, so the victim thing is really tough and it's not to, it's never to discount that people have had horrible things happen. It's also not to discount that there still are things that aren't right that we can go and fix because we got to go do that. Uh, but at the same time, if, if your standard is personal truth, then that gives moral justification to a dictator bully yeah, because they're just living out their personal truth. But on the other hand, if you say there's a higher truth that we all have to abide by, a moral standard or code that we have to live by, then that creates some pretty good uh, uh, rails on the road that keep us in. Yeah. And we know when people go outside the rails because there's death and destruction outside the rails. Well, you said the word boundaries earlier, and I mentioned this consistently. It's just one that I think it sticks with me because I don't like it. It's one of those that you, you know, you read it and find out it's true, but I don't like it. And it was the old study of putting kids on a playground, little playground in this massive field, no boundaries. And how the kids just stuck close to the playground and the teachers. And so then they went and put a fence pretty far out, but put a fence around that. As soon as they did that, the kids branched out and went to the far perimeters, went way out there. And it was this, you know, mind boggling thing. We, we do want boundaries. We don't like limitlessness. Kind of like the Zig Ziglar aspect of, you know, if you think that you can be, if you buy into the thing, hey, you think positive, you can do anything. You can be anything. That's overwhelming. It's just, it blows my, I don't want that. Help me understand me and my propensities, giftings, talents, skills, abilities, and where I'm going to be best suited. And let's look in that frame. Let's talk about like personality profiles. It helps us understand ourselves and it kind of narrows down the playing field. Well, it, it, it does from the anything, but then it gives us this big scope of, man, here are the, all the areas that you could apply yourself, you know, effectively that we do. Uh, we do like boundaries, the right ones, the right, the right boundaries, healthy boundaries. And you said a minute ago, Tom, worldview. And that's really where I came to. And that's what, that's what Jordan's uh, perspective was, is what is your worldview? I don't think he even used the word worldview. I don't think he used the word, uh, you know, boundaries. I mean, I mean, we're using a lot of words around what he did. Some of his words, I had to figure out what he was talking about. He, he is, uh, he's a, he's a smart dude. But it is a, you know, what is our worldview and how is that impacting us? And he was really talking at a cultural aspect too. How is that impacting our culture and how are we engaging? How are we joining and waving the flag of yeah, oppression? Oh, victim. He didn't use that word either. He spoke to it a lot, but he didn't use that specific word. I don't know if there were reasons he was trying not to use some of these loaded 
words that we have, maybe because he knows there's so much baggage, he was trying to use different words, but that's what he was dancing around, I think. And what is that world view and what is your attitude about that? And it's, it comes back just to the key of, of attitude of the, you know, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And it, again, it, but it, it did, I mean, he, he was very gracious and it wasn't the aspect of, Hey, just look at the things that are doing bad and just give them a free pass. I'm saying that again. And it wasn't to do that. And, 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 and to some degree he said, and if you really do feel like there is literal bad things happening, what are you then doing and committing to be part of the change to help that happen? Or, or are you, and then this is my paraphrase and just sitting back and, and complaining and griping and criticizing and back to Shanti, the opposite of kindness, which is just tearing you down, tearing me down. So how do we look at that? But I appreciated him making the case, like you talked about that he's so good at, uh, of it, again, the math doesn't work. And you can, if you want to, you know, hear his perspective on it, we're sitting here talking about it, but you can, you know, type in, it is the first, literally the first chapter of his book. And Tom, you asked me, you said, Hey, you're going to have Jordan on the show. I haven't even, haven't even asked. I honestly have not uh, invested in him a ton. I keep, I've got, I do have his book and I kind of audited that a little bit, but I'm, I'm interested in him as an, I mean, he's developed himself or he has, that's, that's not true. Our culture has developed in, 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 and is into an icon. And that's interesting. Why? That's what I was curious about. That's why I really went. Why is that? And I think he's pretty sobering. You know, he's not, we've got, let me look at podcasts. So he's got a huge podcast and we know that the most popular podcasts on planet earth are entertainment period. You want to, you want a lot of people on there talk about uh, crime and sex. I mean, that's, that is the way to, you know, to get a, a lot of downloads. If you go look at uh, iTunes or wherever you listen, look at the top podcasts. It's entertainment. I mean, the top 20 are primarily, it takes a long while to get to one that's actually about personal development or business development or education or health and wellness. And then you'll see a couple big ones, celebrity names pop up there. You know, the Dave Ramsey show, something like that'll pop up there, but it's mainly entertainment. He does have a really big uh, show and he is not a very funny guy. He's not I wouldn't call him entertaining. He's interesting. It's curious. And he's obviously striking a chord with people. I think it's, I think it is his, you know, a sobering perspective on some of our volatility in the culture that people are drawing to. And it was literally fans, Tom. I mean, they were fans. These weren't just people like me who were just interested in it. They were hooting and hollering like he was some political candidate they were about to vote for. And, uh, Again, interesting, but that was, that was, to me, it just stands out that he spent uh, 75 minutes or so probably on a monologue. And that's all he covered was again, that aspect of do not carelessly denigrate social institutions. And then he did a Q and a, and he only got through four questions uh, on Q and a, you talked about parenting. There was one, uh, maybe it was on marriage uh, that he hit. Like, how do you forgive a partner who's been. I don't think they even use the word infidelity, but that's what he talked about. How do you regain trust? And it was interesting. People just want to hear that. Yeah. Again, I'll say a sobering perspective on the real things that we're dealing with, but this one just stuck out to me because I mean, obviously it was his focus. And then again, I saw the post about you, the way you see people is the way 
you treat them. And I, I think I take it further and it's a way that you feel about yourself and your worldview. If you hear somebody who's critical, they're a victim of other people, that's their perspective. And they are, they are hurting themselves as opposed to saying what you just did. Can't control that. We're sure not minimizing. I, and I, I sure don't want to minimize anybody's struggle because I'm, especially me, I'm an incredibly privileged human and with, have lived a privileged life. So it's not to minimize um, that, but we still do have control over how we react. And, you know, back to the, yeah, you look at the bookshelf behind me and, and behind you. It's amazing how the vast majority of those, probably 80% or more, are people who came from every reason not to be on that bookshelf. Yeah. So you said that he kind of, he said, if you look at that as somebody and you say, well, that's success. Yeah. Then what is your definition of success? So what's the definition of success that he was driving at? Or did he just leave that for, for each person to decide? He left it up, but obviously was poking at if our definition is winning, period. He even used the example, Tom, of that we can all probably relate to the, he kind of the make-believe kid, you know, let's say on the soccer field, who's just awesome, especially at a younger age, you know, you can have some kids really outshine the other. So you got some nine-year-old kid, man, and he's just leaps and bounds above everybody else. And his team wins because of him. And so I see that I've got kids who, who young kids playing sports and playing literally soccer. And you can have one kid and at the young age early on, man, they can make the team win. And it seems like that seems great, right? If you're that kid's parents, you should just be stoked about that. He gets the ball, he keeps the ball and he scores and the team wins. But that's the math that we're supposed to go after, right? That's success. And he's saying, but we all know how often that story gets turned around and we have to talk to the king and go, man, winning is is great, but it's, it's not everything. And, and it also matters how you play the game. And if you're not including your teammates, if you're not a good winner, just like a good loser, it's important. So we hear that talked about and it kind of goes back again to that. Yeah. Success. Is it just winning? So if somebody's out there, so name your person who you are upset about in the corporate world or in the political sphere, who you feel like is this oppressive power mongering evil even, you know, person, are they really winning? Yeah. That, that's where he did leave it. And they, I literally said, Tom, if that is, if that's how you feel, I question your definition of, I think he said maybe both of winning and success. You are listening to the Ziegler show and Tom Ziegler and I discussing how we all view power. We'll be right back. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. That's an interesting thing. And I can't remember if it's Jordan Peterson or someone else, but they talked about um, Canadian hockey players. He's Canadian. So we'll we'll, we'll say that he did it. Something like 63% of professional hockey players in Canada are born in the first four months of the year. Okay. But there is no, genetic reason why that should happen right you should have eight or nine percent of all professional hockey players born in each month but the way they have the league set up is if you're born in that time frame that means you're the 
you're the on the older oh, end right, right. of that uh, league that you're playing in. And older means bigger. Mm-hmm. Older means more, generally speaking, more uh, fundamentally dexterously sound, right? You've got more hand-eye coordination. You're more coordinated. Mm-hmm. And so if you're more coordinated and bigger, that means you get more playing time. And if you get more playing time, that means that your skills get refined at a higher rate than the kids who get less playing time, which means that you're more likely to be selected for an all-star team, Yeah. which means that you're more likely to get more one-on-one skills coaching and development and more playing time and more games and when you multiply that over 10 years of development, somebody born in the right window from an age perspective has a significant mathematical advantage over somebody who's the youngest in the league, yeah. who's the smallest, who hasn't caught up. And, and so that's a system, right? The, the age group system in leagues benefits those kids who happen to be at the older side of the age spectrum. Mm -hmm. And that's why if you come to Texas, especially where football is everything in small towns, very common for sons to be held back a year, not because the teachers say academically they can't do it, it's because everybody looks at each other and says, I'd rather them graduate as an 18-year-old going for a college scholarship than a 17-year-old because yeah. they got one more year of development. And so that's how uh, systems that make sense create inequities along the way. And so as a political science and economics, um, political science major and in college and economics underneath that in history. Um, I've looked at the historical and economic definition of success. So here's a really weird thought problem that I did when we did golf, when we went to war in Iraq. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what is the economic uh, political definition of success? Is it child mortality? Is it availability of healthcare? Is it the uh, average age of people, you know, lifespan? Is it uh, a GDP number that per person that the country puts out? Is it the percentage of people who are in middle class? And so here's an interesting thing. Um, the war in, her- in Iraq was horrific, and there's a lot of reasons that I question it. But the interesting thing is, is that Saddam was in power, I think, 23 years prior to the war. Hmm. And depending on who you believe, any he killed anywhere from a million to 3 million Iraqis. The Kurds through starvation, all these different things. I mean, genocide, um, just to maintain his power. And so we go in and the war comes in and so I just did it. I said, well, success is how many people died needlessly in a regime, okay? 
So he was killing over 100,000 people a year on average. I mean, he went to war with Iran and they both lost millions of people or a big number. I don't know what it was. It was a lot. Okay. And so, so we come in and we go to war and a lot more people die, but we went from killing, you know, a hundred thousand a year to 30,000 a year. Well, isn't that success? <laughs> well, not if you're the one killed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but, but the, the thing is, is it's so arbitrary because, uh, how do we define success? And a lot of people say, well, ultimately success is just given freedom to me. Success is the freedom to do what I want, when I want with who I want. And if there are casualties along the way, but I get that freedom, then that's okay. Yeah. Other people say, nope, success is uh, average lifespan. As long as that's going up, regardless of the authoritarian rules that we put in place, then we're winning. So you got this challenge that, that goes back and forth. Um, then I talk about, or I have talked about the, the geography of compassion. So if somebody ends up in the ER from a car accident, they got a broken leg and it's going to cost a hundred thousand dollars to fix it in the U S we're going to do it right. That person's going to get fixed. It doesn't matter if they're illegal or illegal or a citizen or have insurance or don't have insurance that hospital's doing the surgery. But, but what would happen if, the doctor who's about to do the surgery, if they said, Hey, you know what, instead of fixing this person's leg, we'll just send the same amount of money to a third world country. And that'll save 10,000 lives because we can purify the water and take care of malaria. Are you going to, are you going to deny that person the fix of the leg so that 10,000 people that you don't know can live? I mean, we, we think about it being hypothetical, but those are numbers. Yeah. And that's where all this challenge comes into play is, and I, I just go back to the, I don't know if it's the starfish or the sand dollar. Um, yeah, both. It, bo it literally is, is you can find equal stories on both those topic or uh, subjects. You know, and the, the story is granddad and grandson are walking on the beach and, and there's thousands of these, we'll call them starfish. They've washed up. And they're gasping for air and they need the water. And so the granddad's picking them up, throwing them in back in the water. And the grandson says, um, what are you doing? And he says, well, they'll die if they're not back in the water. And, and the grandson says, but granddad, there's thousands of them. What difference does it make? And the granddad picks up one more, throws it in and says, well, to this one, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And to me, that's the ultimate simple story of how do we make sense of this? Because if we, if nothing matters and we're victims, then why bother? Just let all the, just let all the starfish die. Yeah. Or we could say, you know what? I can't do much about what's happening out there, but whenever I see a starfish, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make a difference. Yeah. And ultimately what that means to me is, is you've got to develop into a more capable person tomorrow than you are today to handle more starfish.
more capable and, and yeah, I was to say more positive again, coming back to his, if I was trying to encapsulate his message, it was, you know, again, do not carelessly denigrate social institutions. Check your attitude. Is it really pan out? Are they really evil, bad, oppressing power mongers who are, you know, quote, winning, you know, and successful check that one. And, and then two, just to what you said, Tom, check, what are you doing to help? What are you doing to help sitting back and complaining what we've got this cultural wave of right now, which just feels increasingly blaming and finger pointing and disparaging and criticizing is just not helping. So how can we help ourselves help the problem? Yeah, it was a good topic, man. That's why I was, I was eager to talk about it with you. Cause I know that's something that's on your heart. And, uh, yeah, political, political, that, that was his first degree, political science. Just so you know, you guys are kindred spirits there. Of course, then he went on to get like, I think every degree that there is. So, uh, yeah, there you go. All He's right, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand about 1% of what he says. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I think the reason that he's such a lightning rod is this, I was thinking about it as you were talking about him is people have a thirst for the truth. And the truth is very controversial. Mm -hmm. And he has a way of sharing truths. I'm not going to say the truth. I'm just going to say truths in certain areas that get both ends of that spectrum really agitated. Mm -hmm. People who are seeking the truth go, wow, that makes sense. And people who disagree with that as the truth they, they, they can't be quiet. They have to, they have to stand up, you know, they have to give their version of the truth. Um, and so he gets both sides going. And so it's, that's a superpower, I think. It uh, is. And I think it's again, you know, on this topic of denigrating is, you know, what do we feel so threatened by? I found myself there more and more, Tommy, you know, what am I, what am I in this debate or this argument or this controversy? What am I? threatened by let me take that into account first and then again back to the you know who who is winning and i i have heard him talk on you know the aspect just of how we view our side our truth that by proxy if we feel truth here that somebody who opposes it or seems on their side is does not know the truth and they're evil and again we're back to this perspective and and i'm going to bring it back just us what is it doing to us what is it doing to the spirit, to our spirit, to the spirit of our communities. And uh, how are we helping the matter? Amen. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, brother. To bring this back to the point, we are auditing. It is our worldview, our cultural view, our perspective on the powers that influence the culture we live in. I mean, if you view the government or political parties or corporate leaders as tyrants and villains, one, it's just hurting you. And two, it's questionable if your view is really correct to the fullness of that. You have to figure out how to make your own peace, but that's really just it. Your peace is what's at stake. And I'm not justifying or minimizing anything, any wrongs, and not denying that, you know, sometimes harm is done, but simply calling us to check out our attitudes in regards to how they are affecting our spirit. Well, coming up next in Ziegler Show, episode 979, I'm back with Ethan Cross, our expert in taming 
the voice in our head. That's the topic of his book, Chatter. And we're going to talk about his personal habits for success and how he tames his own voices and the other obstacles to his success. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.